Eden Clay, best time of the night to tell you to go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I had to adjust. Thank you. I I had to adjust that one uh, to be the night instead of the morning. I'm not sure if you have an opinion about that, but I had to just because of the time that we're recording this podcast to make it make sense to you and not confuse you. You know, it's the details that I respect the most about your hosting duties. <laughs> hosting duties. That, that is uh, never really, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but the, um, uh, there is a definite like uh, brain capacity problem you have because you host a couple of your own podcasts, right? And, and I yeah. host like the Star Trek in this one. Host in the sense is that someone sort of leads the discussion around things. Um, mm-hmm. But I always find the hosting part to be a real brain drain in a way that like doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I think that I miss 50% of the jokes that are told to me when I'm hosting that I don't, (laughs) that I don't miss when I'm just sort of in the background waiting to chime in with a thought. You know what I mean? Sure. Because your brain is always moving on to the next thing. So like you'll say something and I'll go like, yeah, that's true, Clay. And then they'll be like, oh, that was a, that was a good joke. But like my my brain is not acknowledging it. Between you saying that and Sean uh, claiming that he has microphone problems that cut out his laughs, I feel like maybe it's just me and it's my material isn't quite as uh, belly busting as I as I thought it was. I think my uh, I think my headphones are breaking. Something something's going on. <laughs> You're not, not coming through. It's the hosting. It's the hosting. It kills you, Sean. You're you're dealing with uh, Batman trivia, and then Sean just has to chime in every once in a while. He doesn't even have to bring his microphone or headphones to these things. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he just has to he just has to show up. No, yep. no brain power going there whatsoever. This is episode four. <laughs> you um, know he listens to this show. <laughs> <laughs> Meet me on this. Well, <laughs> I am good at first impression, Sean, and you are a fucking cunt. This is episode four. <laughs> Uh, oh, I actually no, I forgot. This is Deadwood. This is not Voyager. I don't think he listens to this. No, show. well, <laughs> god damn it. Then I'll have to I'll have to yell at him like uh Doherty yells at Hurst and has Captain Turner. You can be the Captain Turner to uh Sean's George Hurst and we'll go at it. This is episode four. It's called Full Faith and Credits. We are gonna play the music, we're gonna come back and we're gonna break it down. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This is episode four of Deadwood's third season. We are one third of the way. No, one one fourth. No, one third. One third of the way (laughs) through the final season. It's called Full Faith and Credit. Directed by Ed Bianchi, written by Ted Mann. Don't do public math. In this one called Full Faith and Credit, Alma opens the Deadwood Bank for business. Langriche wants to buy the Chez Ami for his theater. Joni tells him to fuck off. Captain Turner brings Swearingen a note from Hearst and offers to rip off Doherty's head. Stapleton provides the actress Claudia with a private dice lesson. Hostetler and the nigger general's return agitate Steve. A hesitant depositor receives a speech from Ellsworth about the full faith and credit of Alma's bank. Steve is apoplectic at the prospect of working under Hostetler. Bullock offers him the chance to buy the livery. Hearst, Swearingen, and Tolliver meet at the Grand Union. Farnham notes the Titans gather. Langriche agrees to build a schoolhouse in order to buy the Chez Ami from Joni. All right. So, full faith and credit, which I think ties into the, uh, the idea that we've talked about since the start of the show, which is that there are some things that don't exist that are lies agreed upon that we acknowledge as a uh, kind of agreement between people. And the full faith and credit is something that they'll say about the U.S. government in terms of like bonds and debts and things like that. You, you're you guaranteed to get your money back if you buy a U.S. Treasury bond or whatever. But money is also a made-up construct that we agree upon, and money is the basis of pretty much everything that happens in this episode, which is further cementing how far we've moved away from the, uh, the gun-toting Western stuff of the first season, and we're moving into uh, contract negotiations at this point of the series and this point of our civilization i guess what'd you think of full faith and credit why don't we talk at the hardware store why don't we talk right here uh, 30 minute recess boys no recess on my account i don't want my getting fucked to put others to inconvenience no one's here to fuck you steve if you just quit 
run in your mouth. First off, I thank you for looking to the livery. He'll talk to me through you or he won't get any fucking response. I'm grateful for the care you gave the animals. Now, you wait until he translates from ape. Don't insult him again. You being this kind of neutral sheriff is why I'm gonna vote for Harry Manning. I want to pay you for your time and your trouble. And that's it? Send me on my fucking way? And if you wanted to work there, I would be willing to keep you on. Look at him, gritting his teeth, holding on to his fucking nose. Don't you do me any fucking favors, Hostetler. I didn't ask permission of anyone to look after that stock. And I'm not going to start with a fucking nigger. Well, first, I do. I have always been amazed uh, at money as a concept. Because like, even, even if you're looking at this show specifically or, or um, in and of itself, you've got gold. Yeah. Which is uh, something that is only worth something because people decide it's worth something. Yeah. And then from there, you've got uh, paper money, which is even, even more, more so. Yeah. Even more so and even more baffling than, than a rock. Well, because gold, <clears throat> if you have a lot of gold, you have more value than money, which can be the same piece of paper with a different number written onto, onto right. it, you know. And then once you get to credit, now it's just real theoretical shit where yes. it's just like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> is that I have <laughs> I have great credit. It's like, what does that mean? Right. This is also what your excuse as to why you don't pay back your debts because who who what is this credit? This doesn't exist at all. Yes, and I mean not not even to say about what happens when you get into what we have now, which is all digital stuff, which is right? just. You know, why doesn't somebody just go into the system and put an extra zero in everybody's paycheck and we'd be all happy? That's right. How could someone... Although I guess that wouldn't fix inflation, would it? <laughs> that would make inflation worse, but someone... It would. It's the same thing about the um, the Great Depression, right? Like, it's, it's kind of funny in that, like, I'm no economist, but it's like you could just... A depression like the Great Depression or something seems like it would be fixable through how money is just a construct in and of itself, right? But it's like the, because you'd think you could either just make more of it or you could sort of eliminate debts and start over at some point, just say like everyone's, sure. everyone's clean. Let's just start this over and not have a problem anymore. But uh, buying into money actually makes you go, you know, through the cycles of the ups and downs and everything like that. But it is, it is strange. It's a, well, uh, it's, it's an agreement based, you know, everyone agrees that money yeah. is worth something. And I mean, the agreement part, I feel like we got a really good look at the agreement part of it during the pandemic because, like, there was kind of this idea that, well, you know, why, why, do, we pay, why do we have to keep paying rent? Like, if we can't pay, like, it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, there's this idea that, okay, well, you can delay uh, the paying of rent for a, a shop that's been, that is closed because of, the, because of the pandemic. Okay, sure, but that's only if the person holding the lease agrees to that. Right. And that's only yeah. if the person who, the bank, the bank who that the holds lease, yeah. the, agrees to that. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So it's like this kind of thing where it's like, theoretically that would work if everybody agreed to it, but that's never going to happen. Yep. That's the other funny thing about money that I always think is that like, you can have, uh, money only works if it's constantly moving. Right. So like if, if everyone just holds on to their money, everything falls apart. But you need the money moving back and forth between people to give it like the the effect that it has. Because, you know, if no one bought Tell anything, that to my held mattress. On to it. that's right. Uh, <laughs> it's just, which is a princess well, and a peace situation, except <laughs> stacks of bills. Fast well, it's six. like I always say, Wes, mm -hmm. the best things in life are free, but you can give that to the birds and the bees. I was listening to a. Uh, the Ramsey show, I think, which is a finance show. And there's a woman who called in and she's like, I have $200,000 in cash in my house, right? Yeah. And she's like, there's money in the banana stand. She's like, she's like, I don't trust the banks. And it's like, what are you going to do if your house burns down? Like, yeah, what? Like I, a desperado. Yeah. <laughs> or in, in arrested development for that matter. Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's always money in the banana stand. And, she was not making my banana stand, my financial banana stand doing that. <laughs> anyway, uh, long story short, um, I, I like this episode. I, um, <clears throat> I, I was kind of tickled by 
this was one where where the um I felt like the theme was so blatant, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's just like the entire episode just turned into like writing promissory notes for, yeah. <laughs> for different wheeling amounts and dealing, and wheeling, wheeling and, and dealing, dealing. yeah. <clears throat> which I which I which I thought was was interesting and and is a it shows a a, a big change in the way things are done in the town. Um, <clears throat> I I really liked Al in this one because I I liked seeing the um counterpoint to his the amount of confidence he had going into the first meeting with Hurst being that now he has no idea why the hell this guy would want to talk to him again and now he's just like running all the different scenarios in his head and he's he's kind of weirded out by it yeah and it's fucked him up sexually he's so he yes he, he can't he can't uh finish anymore because he's so consumed with right. thoughts yeah jeff bullock Trying to broker some settlement between Steve and Hostetler. Oh, I'll find you later then. Be quick, you got me now. Must have been unwelcome, Miss Bullock. That horse being brought back. Not wanting to intrude on her. Miss Stubbs haven't asked me to find out. Might I ask you to speak in her stead as to something I believe we both know where she stand on? Is that your goddamn idea of quick, Charlie? But uh, but yeah, I, I I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought it was it had uh, I thought it was had some funny stuff in it. Um, I thought Charlie talking to Seth was very funny. Mm-hmm. Is this um, your goddamn idea of quick? <laughs> yeah, and I, I I I loved the the bit at the end with Joni and and Jane where they take that beat and then Jane says, "Where do you think the stage is going to mm-hmm. go?" And she's like, "I don't know. I have no idea." <laughs> um, but well, I, I loved seeing how frustrated Bullock was getting having yeah. to shuffle this paperwork back and forth between people that was good yeah yeah I, th- I thought it was good you know it's it's uh uh it's a very um <clears throat> aggressive aggressively racist one from Steve unfortunately because yeah. yeah. Steve just has just always getting the uh the 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 shit end of the stick I guess but yeah well, cause it causing it himself too oh yeah, is, yeah absolutely yeah uh, I really like this one. This one kind of yeah. snuck up on me as a um, an interesting one. But I think that what I talked about last week, what I read from the the Deadwood Bible book, was that guy who said that it's like a kind of a hangout show. And yeah, yeah. this one definitely felt that way. Although I thought that the uh, the Bullock plot line I thought was really unusual for this show. I don't think I can remember another episode where a single plot does so much in a single episode. You know, like yeah, they kept yeah. returning to it and it felt very um, traditional TV in a way that the show normally doesn't do because normally the show has so many characters and so many scenes and plot lines going on that it can only really spend one or two scenes with something and then it has to move it to the next episode. So you have to kind of mm-hmm. like, you don't spend a lot of time with an idea of like someone running around back and forth between town to do things. And the Bullock storyline was interesting just because of how frequently they came back to Bullock really just moving to the next thing that he had to do and then going to the next person and back to the next person. And um, I really liked it. I don't I don't know if it's something that the show has to do all the time, but I thought it was really unusual and kind of... An, a, it was noticeably different from the way that the show normally does something, and I thought that I kind of got something out of it in a way that the uh, there was kind of like a the characters involved all had a chance to like really develop in the course of an episode in a way that I don't think they normally do. Yeah, definitely. Except for Joni. Uh, Joni is still stuck in this just quagmire of always being like on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I thought I'm still waiting for them to, to find something to do with her. Um, cause it's like every scene with her is just her, <laughs> finding the closest person to say i just don't know if i can do it anymore yeah it's just that over and over again unfortunately yeah she doesn't um she's not driven by anything yeah um and i I guess that selling the place to langrish gives her a kind of like she 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 uses that to do something good in building of the school and stuff so it's i don't I don't. I honestly don't remember what her plot line is after that in terms of whether or not she gets out of this uh, quagmire that she's found herself in. But I, I agree that she's one of the characters that I think they have not really completely figured out how they want to kick her down the road a little bit to make something useful or come out of her um, her setup. 
Yeah. Did uh, let's see. Did the Bullock the Bullock storyline? I guess is worth staying with for a minute or two, just because it's the return of Hostetler and the General. Mm-hmm. Um, they come back, and I think that you know it, this watch through has been interesting for me because I really uh, in this one where I used to find Steve just really sort of abominable and like a horrible character that irritated me. I think on this watch through, I, I, he's, he's obviously a horrible character, but there's something, I think the performance and the writing of him just makes him really uh, watchable in this like very yeah. upsetting way. Like he's very obnoxious and annoying. He can never seem to just do the right thing and like not say something, you know, he's, he's about to be given exactly what he wants, but he has to say something at that point. Yeah. I, I feel like everybody who watches this episode is just going, shut up, Steve, yeah, right. shut, up, just, Steve. Just take shut up, Steve, shut up, Steve. Like even Seth is like, shut up, Steve, but he just can't <laughs> shut his fucking mouth. Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating, but it's, um, you just kind of see, I think he's just such a well-designed character in that sense. Like, I, I, I find his lines of dialogue to be really interesting. He doesn't have the most uh, pretty dialogue or anything like that, but he, he says things that are, I, I didn't write any of it down, but he says things that are kind of unusual, and he has a poetic way of speaking, even though he's obnoxious and yelling all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just, um, I think they, obviously, as I mentioned before, I, th- I think that they, this is the first time I've ever really understood his backstory as fully as I have here. So I think that his backstory does quite a bit of heavy lifting for him, too. And that you're not, I wouldn't say he's sympathetic, but he's not just a sort of like random racist who's just racist all the time. Like they, they do a good job of explaining why he's so psychologically damaged, which is that everything was basically, he's never basically gotten anything from what he was expecting to get. Which is mm. not to say that he deserves it, but that he he feels that he deserves something like that. Could you refresh my memory as to what exactly it was? I can't remember. Uh, he got drafted like the, into the Union during the Civil right. War, and his brother or someone got his like confectionery family business. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and th- it's what he talks about in this one, which is that you know the bl- he he blames black pe- people for taking things that he thinks are his, including the livery in this uh, in this situation. But um. Hosteller is also sticking up for himself and refusing to sign the thing at the same time. So we have this, this standoff where they're all going to sign it tomorrow at the same time and close the deal because they couldn't close it today. Listen, man, I have watched enough wrestling to know that when there's a contract signing about to go down, that someone's getting put through a table. Yeah, you you, you can't sign a contract in the middle of the ring and not expect some either a chair shot or something to, uh, nope. to take yourself out. Uh, did you, it's been a while since we've seen Hostetler and the general, uh, any mm. thoughts on their return to town? Bullock interacts with them. Steve interacts with them. Hostetler I was, uh, yeah, it took me a minute to kind of, to kind of click into what was going on with them. Cause is the idea that they were like, cause when Jane was reacting so intensely, when she got the, the telegram that they were coming back, is it because she assumed that they were going to get blamed for William's death and they were going to get lynched or something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're coming back is kind of a, uh, a bravery thing that they're right, doing right. In, in terms of what they, or how they view it. Like they, they don't have to come back, but they're doing it because they want to make amends and sort of return the horse and accept responsibility for what, what happened. Yeah. Like what, what are they going to do with the horse? Yeah, Martha Bullock doesn't want to killed. I guess you can just sell. Yeah. I don't know where the horse came from in the first place. If it was a wild horse or something, but figure yeah, it out. It's not the horse's fault, you know. No, he's um, definitely losing his balls. No matter what, though, this time something's happening. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I like them. I like Hostedler. I I I like that actor. Um, anytime he pops up in something, I think he's very good. Yeah, I think his name's <clears> Richard <throat> Gant. I think that's his name. I think. I think he's in Jason Goes to Hell. Is is he? <laughs> I think he is the coroner. You said, you said Richard Gant. Yeah, I'm looking it I up. I think now. he is the coroner. Yes, who, he's, uh, he is in Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah, he's the coroner who eats Jason's heart. Yes, and takes on the yep. the spirit of Jason Voorhees for the first <laughs> third of the movie. That was um, 1993. So it was 10 years before this. Good stuff. Great movie. Check that out. Check out our coverage on Patreon. Yep. Um. Yeah, I like him. I I really liked that scene. I like. I honestly liked all of his scenes because I feel like you, 
it's clear the position that he's in and he's reacting to the like the, the scene with Bullock I thought was really good because you know he's trying to he's apologizing but he's also trying to he's not trying to come across as someone without dignity yeah um and the scene with in the bar with Steve I thought was really good cuz like wa- just watching him take all that awful harassment um and then you know turn into uh superfly at the end mm-hmm. before they stop him before he can turn on turn on everybody <laughs> but uh but like it's just it, it was just one of those moments where it's like you can see the the bomb coming where he's like motherfucker it's like who's he talking about you motherfucker oh is he talking about steve all of you motherfuckers <laughs> like oh no this is yeah. going to get bad yeah but it's weird but, how you know, motherfucker I, is such a they react to it in a way like every time someone says motherfucker they treat it very um aggressively like it's something to be responded to when you're called that i think i think it's a weird um consistency that the show always I, has yeah i always like it when they use it as um uh would it be a verb when it's like when you say when motherfucker you motherfuck and, yeah and yeah. this is do you you will not motherfuck me yes, or yeah. i motherfuck <laughs> i motherfuck you yeah <clears throat> It's always very fun. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I thought he was, you know, watching him uh, try to keep his cool because, like, you know, there, there's, there's, there's no reason why he shouldn't just beat the shit out of this guy. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just, just the, uh, the mores of the the time that you can't. I because I feel that um, the show interestingly is not as. Like the the other characters in the show aren't quite as racist as maybe historically it might have been. It seems to me like a, a lot of it is yeah. just put through Steve's eyes, and the other characters generally like Hostetler and the general. Um, Bullock seems to like them, so there's not a there's not like this universal contempt for them or a universal, uh, or at least the show doesn't sell me that way. That like the town is against them. It's really just right. a lot of it's put yeah. through Steve's Steve's eyes because even. Tom Nuttall and stuff like there's no they just can't get rid of Steve it seems like no one particularly likes him but they they, they don't take his side either yeah and the, I mean the other thing that's interesting about the situation too <clears throat> is that to a certain point uh I have to be careful how I say this um in regards to the livery mm-hmm. Steve actually kind of has a point because they did ditch the place for God knows how long and he was taking care of the animals. And yeah, like yeah. they didn't say thank you. Like they, they didn't take that as 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 something that was uh <clears throat> nicer for of him to do to have done. Yeah. yeah. But it's and so like Hostedler has to kinda like navigate that, but then any chance of that being uh ironed out just goes right out the door because Steve just won't shut his goddamn mouth yeah and they kind of balance it a little bit too just because steve didn't take it with best intentions he took it because he right. didn't, he didn't yeah. like them and they left and he like he he's not really caring for the animals out of the goodness of his heart in other words it's to well yeah yeah there. that's the thing too yeah well and also because he needs he something basically to tried to uh <laughs> exercise eminent domain right because yes, he went yeah. to the the dude who's running for mayor or sheriff or whatever being like if i take care of this can i have it and he's right, like, yeah, i don't yeah. give a shit yeah yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's mixed himself up in the livery and stuff, and obviously he can't work for Hosteller just because he wouldn't see that as being viable. So they have to come up with a sale idea that Hosteller says if he wanted to go to Oregon or Oregon, Oregon, um, and they agree to sell for what I thought seemed low based on some of the other prices that people are getting here, just a thousand dollars. Some of the some of the businesses are getting. It wasn't Tolliver offered like half, like five hundred thousand dollars or something. Oh yeah. Point? Yeah, yeah, you'd think the livery would be a pretty important moneymaker business in town. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because Nuttall and uh, Harry Manning are talking about building a fire engine and renting it out. So, like, I think the livery that, would have some money behind it. I, I really like that scene, too, when he was like, you're running for sheriff so you can make a fire brigade. Just make the fucking <laughs> truck and then rent <laughs> the truck. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Although it ends with that nice beat where he's like, and make sure you get two hats, because I guess yeah, he, he wants good. to be a fireman, too. I should cut your salary 20%. 
Based on time, you're absent campaigning. Could I make up the hours and want some beef? Your plans are idiotic. You're running for sheriff to be a fireman. And hope to be second deputy in case they start a fire department. Well, that's stupid, and I ought to cut your salary. Have to, you have to. Why not build a fucking fire wagon that you then rent out to the camp? If I had money. If you had a loan for the wagon's makings and help with the fucking carpentry, would you build the wagon then? I... I'd repay you at fucking interest, boss. That's the 20% pre-deducted from the makings purchase. We build the fucking wagon, then rent it to the camp. And don't ever speak of this again. And two fucking fire hats. But yeah, it's, it's a episode based on the money. Uh, and sort of the negotiations that are going on. Um, Lynn Grisha has agreed to buy the Shiz on Me and build a school. He's apparently got a lot of money. Um, I know. That was a pretty, uh, that was a big ask from Joni, yes. frankly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was out of line, <clears throat> given what the they used that building for. Yep. But that's a pretty big ask to be like, yes, you can buy my house, but you also have to build another one. Yeah, for that is not a money making uh, piece of real estate. We might um, it might be a modern issue here. Like it can't. It probably wasn't that expensive to build a structure back then, right? Like, cause there's, sure, there's nothing true. in it really. It's just you have to put up the wood, like the the framing yeah. and everything. Maybe it's actually kind of cheap to build a building back then, but I, I don't know. You mean he didn't have to pay for a waterless water heater, or what is it, a tankless water heater? No, he didn't have he didn't have any solar panels to put on the tankless heater or the uh, the earth cooling. What is that thing where you dig a big hole and like the the heat and the cool air comes out of the hole? <laughs> oh yeah, we uh, we went to look at a house <clears throat> this past Friday, and it was actually it was a nice house. It was reasonably priced as well. But mm-hmm. when we got there. Um, we found out that whoever buys the house has to take on the lease for the solar panels. Yeah, sure. And it's like, mm, yep. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's the worst. Don't buy solar panels. People well, buy them if you can afford them and pay for them. Do not do not lease the things and do not finance the things. Don't believe these con men. Um, full faith and credit. What else is there in this one? We get. Um, the other money issue that's going on is, oh, the bank, obviously. The bank opens, and it has uh, Merrick stayed outright. Uh, he says, come in faith or something to the people in the bank. Uh, as ties into our conversation about what the episode is about or what the idea of money is about, which is a full faith uh, belief in something. But yeah, Alma has a little desk <laughs> in the hardware store <laughs> where she signs out loans, and Ellsworth gets to yell at people who don't believe in making deposits. Yes, that's uh, good. I like that. <laughs> so, I mean, it is kind of, uh, you know, taken in the context of the time, the the bank is a pretty novel idea, really, that like we'll hold your money for you and you can come and get it whenever you want. Like the the, the difference. It in does how, feel like a scam. Yeah, the difference in how it started, too, which is right. Like you just you get your gold and you bring it to Al Swearingen in the first season and he gives you whiskey, right? Like there's a just right, a trade right. aspect to it. But the bank is a whole nother evolution of everything. And it's understandable that some of the, uh, the hoople heads don't understand what they're, what they're being offered. As far as the conjugal enterprise, I'll admit often feeling like a schoolboy. Thank you for it. Speaking further, twixt your mind and now this bank, however much I may be good at it, I feel I married rather well. I put you on notice. I'm my money. It better be fucking available. Day or fucking night. Mayn't I draw you a map then, in case it's not you want it, to lead you to where I live, so you can wake me? Now, fuck you then. I ain't deposit. Oh, no. Oh, say it ain't fucking so, you stupid fucking asshole. Now, 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 now. Now, now, fucking what? Now, now, keep your voice down. Well, who the fuck are you anyway? Sir. <laughs> Stay out of this. Deposits here, if we fucking let you make them, are backed by this lady's gold mine. So do not confuse her with some paper palace fly-by-night who means catch me if you can, turn me upside down, and whatever falls out my pants pocket is what's behind my script when his note says full faith and credit. 
Thank you, Mr. Ellsworth. She'd make the uses of money available for people in the camp. Ain't belligerent cocksuckers. Short up, following you around with her fucking mind on her back. How else is she supposed to do it? Thank you. Well, the guy who didn't want to deposit, wasn't he talking about like finding a different bank? Or was he I think just he just said he wanted to hold on to it. Yeah, oh, okay. he was just going to hold on to it. <clears throat> but Ellsworth I mean, that's straight. how I react anytime I go to the bank now. So I know. Direct deposit? Get out of here. I... I opened a business account last yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. I had to go to the bank to do it. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even know you had to do that anymore. Yeah, just for mortgages and business accounts, I think, is the only reason. Everything else is done online. Maybe to get a new card, too. I don't know if they just send you bank cards anymore, although I hardly ever use my bank card, so I don't know. It's all on my phone. Uh, the bank do, you, is- do, you, do you have a checkbook still? Uh, we do for the like I've had the same checkbook for ten years now, so I still have the same fifty checks. Yeah, me in too. It. Yeah, <laughs> I think I I don't know if I've ever ordered new checks. I think I still have the checks that I got when I got my debit card f- uh, twenty years. The ago. address is three properties away for us. It's like we yep. moved three times. It just it yep. has nothing to bind me to what the the thing says on it. No, but we we still because there's always some scam like uh, the Amy's. Uh, like hairdressers always refuse to take credit cards. Barbers refuse to take credit cards too, for whatever reason. So I always get cash, huh. but Amy writes them a check. So interesting. It is whatever whatever financial shenanigans those guys are up to is not not going to happen in Deadwood. The uh, other the downside of my business account was when I found that I can pay people digitally, fr- like off from my computer. Yep. But it doesn't pay them digitally. It actually just it actually sends them a physical check. Oh, yeah. And so it's it's yep. not an instant transfer type thing, which I was kind of surprised by. But. Oh, they have to they have to wait for the paper check to arrive. Yeah, it makes sense. Then they'll scan it into their mobile app and it'll go back to the very exactly. starting Exactly, yeah. Uh, Alma gets hooked back on dope in this episode though because Yeah, that was Alma. sad. Yep. I didn't I didn't like that. <laughs> Typical Alma isn't it? Things are going well. She's going to she's going to cause some kind of problem here or she's it, do you think that she's celebrating or what's the the rationale for what she's done here? She's she's celebrating her success as a bank owner. She thinks she can control it or is it something else going on? Um I don't know. I think she's probably just an addict. You know, she got got a taste of it from uh from the abortion. <laughs> yeah, the abortion say. Got a ta- got a taste got hooked back on it during her abortion. Yep. Uh, and you know, it's just, uh, another, another thing that'll do this, do the same thing that the, the laudanum does. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's, it's particularly sad for Ellsworth at this point, just because things seem to be going quite well for him. Uh, but we'll see where it ends up with. Um, she's the worst. It's cause it's funny cause Leon wasn't even really sent over to, Leon wasn't sent to do anything. Was he? Or am I forgetting something? I don't, I don't think, think he was. So. Yeah. I think we're past that. So he just recognizes uh, what the situation is. Um, Doherty yells at Hurst in this one. We only have a little bit of Hurst in this episode as compared to the last one. He's considering moving on, and he talks to Swearingen and uh, Tolliver about that, whether or not he is going to stick around, and he doesn't think that the elections are going to go the way that he wants them to because he he thinks that Bullock and Starr are going to win their res- uh, respective positions. So he's kind of reconsidering what he wants to do. And Al brings in Silas as a uh, <clears throat> proxy for him in these dealings because he doesn't th- think that uh, Hurst and Tolliver recognize what the relationship is fully between the two of them. What was, uh, where, w- where was Silas? He was looking for Hawkeye, who's his buddy. From, from, the, from the Avengers or his, from his, Last of Mohicans? His buddy Hawkeye who, who came in uh, in season two and then Dan Doherty beat the shit out of him. Uh, oh, that's okay. Hawkeye. Because yeah. that was one of those that was one of those moments where it's like they're having this conversation and they're using a lot of pronouns, but they're not using any proper nouns. So I have no idea what they're talking yeah, about or who yeah. this person is. He said because he, he uh, <laughs> has that line. I repose no truth in someone who traffics with that type of douchebag. And he says, I don't think Hawkeye's <laughs> a douchebag and I'll slap him in the face. Does he say Hawkeye? There? Yes, he does. Oh, yeah. he does. Yeah. Okay, I just I didn't I didn't remember that character's name, so I I just that completely went over yeah. my head. No, he's just been. I, I mean, honestly, I think that the show is having trouble 
balancing the characters at this point. They just don't have anything for yeah. Silas to do. So they've said that he's off with Hawkeye. But the, the point of that is that there's some sort of um, disconnect between Al and Silas about whether or not they can trust Hawkeye. Um, but now Silas has to be proxy for this to problem and deal with, uh, deal with Hearst and Elstead. I, uh, I did like at the very beginning, <coughs> excuse me, when um, Dan and Johnny are watching how Al reacts to uh, Hearst saying good morning. Yep. And I can't remember what the line is, but but Johnny makes some comment about um, Al not re- returning his, his hello. Yes. Yep. And then immediately after that, Hearst says hi to them, and Johnny's like, hi, Mr. Hearst. Yeah. <laughs> morning. Yeah, and... Uh- Doherty upsets Turner, and this is Turner's first lines, I think, in this one. He's like, "You best not, say, you best not speak to Mister Hurst that way um, again." Um, as those two are the sort of equals, the the, the muscle for the the main character. Um, anything else in this one? I mean, there, there's some other things. Any favorite moments? Favorite uh, things? You said you kind of liked this episode. I find this one to be. Uh, I found all the scenes to be kind of delightful in it. Like I, I, yeah. I didn't find any moments that I was really uh, bored by, even though I find Steve sort of loathsome. Um, I still enjoy the sequences with him. Um, I think that his dialogue is really strong. I just thought it was it was kind of, there were enough like pleasant interaction in, in this one and you got a sense of the town doing the business of what the town does. And it wasn't like the last episode, which has, so much of Hearst flexing his muscle that it seems more uh, nasty than it, it, it. Then I guess that the show wants it to be that there is still the town going about its business and it's not all uh, consumed by Hearst at this point. Yeah, uh, there was a couple things. What? Uh, why does Trixie call Seth an asshole after he signs the paper? She just doesn't like him. I think oh, it's okay. just a continuing. Right. I don't think he did I, anything specific. Yeah, I couldn't tell if there was something specific that she was mad about in that moment. Or no, something, I think but. she's just always mad. I, I don't think she likes uh, uh, Bullock. It did. Uh, there was also a great uh, Al has his own counterpoint to the the Seth and Charlie scene where I forget who's being long winded with him, and he says, "Can you say it straight up before I have a fucking birthday?" Yeah, Which I thought was a really good line. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that the. Uh, the Charlie explaining to Seth was really well acted because I started to get like anxiety. I was like, spit it out, Charlie. Like, come on, let's, let's get to the point here. That's, yeah. a, that's a funny scene, but she's uh Mrs. Bullock is not loath to leave the, the whorehouse. I don't think she'll be happy with her new, her new school building. I, yeah, <laughs> that was one of the, that was, I really liked that moment too. He's like, why would she be loath to leave the whorehouse? <laughs> can I speak? Can I accept that answer? Is it from your wife's own lips? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, to be I to be fair to Charlie, you know, that's the kind of thing you do have to ask, even if you know the answer to you it. You do, yeah. Although in 1877, I, the husband can just speak for it. I guess I could speak that's for true. Amy right now, but I, I don't know if I don't know if she would have a strong opinion about leaving the whorehouse or going into the school or whatever she needs to do. I I was kind of surprised that Charlie was so bashful yeah. when talking to Seth because. Yeah, just ask. Like he's his, yeah, he's his deputy. You know, it's not like they don't hang out, and right? Don't know each other. It was there's no downside. He was to it. You know, you know there's no yeah. embarrassment or personal embarrassment to it. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't asking if his wife enjoys the whorehouse because she is herself a whore <laughs> right. or anything. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> Do you think your horrible wife would prefer going elsewhere at this time of day? Um. Len Grish has a great line in this one. Shall I accompany you as your second? My obvious, uns- my obvious unsuitability might confuse him. Yes, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think of the theater troupe in their second appearance so far? I was I was kind of confused by that stuff too. I wasn't really sure what was going on with uh, the actress and top hat guy. I don't know what's going on with Khan and her. That seems like a con that's being run on him, but it it, it yeah. wasn't revealed to be the way. I'll, I did like their their awkward uh, flirting, where he's like, "Have you ever thrown a pair of bones?" He's like, "No, but I've taken some." And he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's t- his tight pants. He he's says, the just "Blaming, <laughs> blaming the Chinese for his <laughs> erection." I'm curious about those tables with the numbers on them. Well, they're for gambling on those. 
Uh, various kinds of games, uh, chance, or uh, different sorts. So I imagined. I wonder if this might be a convenient time for me to learn. Well, Leon, uh, take over supervising for me while I give this young lady some private instruction. Yes, sir. Supervising now, sir. Uh, this over here is a choice tape. Horatio, beat it. Am I inconveniencing you? Oh, damn chinks. They shrunk these pants to the laundry. <laughs> you ever throw the bones before, ma'am? I've caught some. Oh. <laughs> these are my personal dice. Nice uh, fucking set. I'm happy and glad to uh, allow you to learn on them. <laughs> I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was very funny. Yeah, that was good. Yep. <laughs> he shrank his pants. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, I don't know what that scene accomplished because she's sad when she leaves him after she sleeps with him. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think, I, I don't think I missed anything and I don't remember what the, the con would be in that case if there is a con. Outside of that, it's, um, it's really just hanging out with Langriche, and we get another scene of the other two who are sitting at the table, as they're always doing. They're always eating at the table. Um, who was the other woman? Just another actress who's coming. No, I'm sorry. The, the woman who came down that EB seems to have the hots for? Yeah, just another theater troupe actress. Oh, know. sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I thought she was like a... I thought she was like a... a school teacher or something. I think no, I'm getting her confused with the person from like two seasons ago. No, I don't think so. Because she recognizes the writer. She recognizes Wordsworth or something that E.B. is quoting. That's the other. E.B. is apparently right, has right. like a quote quick uh, calendar that he tears off. He says he has a ledger and he never remembers the name of who Yeah, says that the was thing. hilarious that he's got a, a, a like a Reader's Digest <laughs> quote book that he's memorized <laughs> that he doesn't remember who said it. It's very good. That is so perfect for him. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I believe she's just an actress that we hadn't seen the first time, and she because she comes down and sits with the rest of the theater troupe. Um, but yeah, the theater troupe just continues. They haven't really done anything at this point except for Langrisha's bought the shades on me by the end of the episode. Um, and I guess the only other real, the major thing, there's nothing. What else? There's nothing else major, right? That's pretty much all the stuff that we had talked about is um, the Swearingen blowjob monologue that ends the show. Well, uh, there's like three of them. <laughs> there is. They're all, well, they're all in. Oh, I guess that is true because he starts earlier. Yeah, and, he's, and he comes back to it. Uh, I thought that this one was good because you had mentioned in the previous episodes about whether or not this was kind of like running its course. And I feel that this yeah. was the first one um, in a little bit of time that hadn't expanded on the idea that Al is just lonely and he's using it as an excuse to talk to himself while the other person is incapable, literally like incapable of responding to him. Mm -hmm. This was the first one that it shows something about Al's internal perception of things. And it also teaches Al something kind of profoundly by the end of it. Um, but you get a sense of like, he has his breakdown when he reveals that, the thing with Hearst is that Turner holding him down and when he was assaulted by Hearst and cut his uh, finger cut off is kind of a an old fear that he's had because when his, I believe it's when his, he's talking about when his mother left him to get on a boat to go somewhere, the the proctor of the orphanage he was given up to held him down so he couldn't go after mm. his mother. Um, and that ties into the dolly who's going down on him when she says that she doesn't like it when she gets held down. And Elle makes the connection about uh, when he's holding her head down um, that didn't they have a connection about that. But I thought it was the first monologue in that sense that it um, developed Al in a way that they hadn't been doing before. It was something new with it, the take on it. Yeah, it was. Um, <clears throat> I liked that it was it was uh, something that they that he was kind of dealing with through the whole episode. And, and it wasn't just a throwaway you know, sexual dysfunction thing, but it was, there was a, 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 a real, um, trauma connected to it that he, that like, it, it was a good way to use that stuff to show how fucked up that incident with Hearst ma made him. Right. Yeah. 
Like I, I, that's one of the things I really liked about this episode is you really get to see how messed up this thing, that incident has has made him in, in a way that's um, more so than I feel like most shows would would do with it. Yeah, <clears throat> but it's uh, it's good. I think it's uh, yeah, I, I, I like that stuff. I think it's a good metaphor just because it like it ties into the sexual aspect of holding her down. Um, it ties into like the literal Turner and Hearst holding Al down, but it also just ties into like the the metaphorical about what the wealthy and the powerful are doing to the town themselves. Like there's a mm-hmm. the idea of being restrained and not being allowed to do what you want to do is entirely in opposition to what like the founding of Deadwood was supposed to be in season one. You know, like the mm-hmm. the whole reason people are pushing out west is because they want to be able to do what they want to do and they don't want any you know, not beholden to any cocksuckers from the federal government or whatever <laughs> Ellsworth says. And instead, it's found its way back out there, as civilization is wont to do, which is just to kind of chase what everyone uh, is trying to escape from, and it catches up with them. But I think, I think it's a good... I really like it because I think that the writers did a great job of tying those plot threads and themes together through a pretty consistent character thing that Al has been doing for a couple seasons, and it doesn't come. It doesn't come across as too clever. It ju- it just kind of fits. Everything makes sense within itself. Mm. It's not. It's not overly written, and it's not um, too clever for itself. It just everything kind of works nicely and um, is self like explanatory in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good writing. Um, and I think it's the 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 sort of most uh, vulnerable we've seen Al. I think ever really. I can't think of another another moment where he was that. Uh, vulnerable to someone even if it's if if it's just dolly yeah he um yeah nobody outside of trixie i would say yeah but i don't even remember a scene with trixie where they yeah yeah because he's always in sort of command because they maybe the only thing i could think of is in the first season when he invites her back into his bed and he kind of pulls the covers down for her right yeah Uh, that's maybe a second the second closest thing to it uh, let's see here. Anything else about this one? I think those are all the those are all the, the storylines in it. Um, how are you feeling about the third season so far? I'm I'm quite now understanding why I remember liking the third season so much. Uh, it's again I I think that the jo- the show excels when it breaks away from strict plotting of itself and yeah. it just becomes a kind of uh, hangout show where they just have these sequences and the scenes that they actually enjoy and the, the character interactions that Milch and the writers seem to enjoy. I just, I find it so it's weird because I find it to be a very relaxing show, even though it can be incredibly tense, like with the stuff with Steve in it. I just, I just, I never feel overly stressed by Deadwood. I don't know if that's different for you being unfamiliar with how the third season goes, but I, I find it a very, um, like, I don't want to say lighthearted, but it's like there's just something very like pleasant and like um, fun about it, even when it's dealing with sort of darker topics or darker issues. Yeah, I I, I don't find it to be <clears throat> particularly stressful, um, because I I think it is watching watching a town just sort of be a town uh, isn't. Um, what's, what's what am I trying to say? It isn't uh, isn't really stressful by nature, and all of the characters are are enjoyable enough that I feel like they kind of uh, help you help you sort of hover through any of the stuff that does get stressful. I mean, when they when they need to turn the stress up, they do obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I think part of that is the fact that the show has moved away for the most part from random acts of violence. And so, like, when you've got Hostedler taking it from Steve, it doesn't feel like one of them is going to, like, pull a gun on the other one. Yeah. The way yeah. it did in the first season where it's like, oh, anything could happen here. Um, it's a different – I think it's a different set of problems, which makes the show uh, very different from most Westerns. Cause, and I think that makes it it's, – it's better for that because um, – it has moved away from such a uh, so much of the traditional Western stuff, yeah. That I think would just get very stale 
Yeah. At this point. They've moved um, into con- yeah, they've moved into contract negotiations being the weapons against people, really. Like it's it's Hearst yeah. buying things, it's Steve buying away the livery. It's kind of like losing yourself through someone coming along and not being quicker with a gun, but having like more purchasing power than you yeah. is what is what stops you. I think it's the difference between a show and a movie too, right? Because because mm-hmm. I th- we I think we kind of talked about this in the early episodes, but a a lot of the big westerns are are about sort of the end of the west, and the it's always like oh the train is coming in, they're putting in train tracks connecting yeah. us to the world, and that sort of thing <clears throat> works really well for a movie because you can have this idea of the end of the west driving towards this point of change. As, as a framing device for all the fun Western stuff you get to do inside of that, you know, shooting people and riding horses and shit. Yep. But, like, if, if, if they had done, if, uh, um, if Sergio Leone had done a sequel to Once Upon a Time in the West that was a three-hour movie just about, like, the uh, intricacies of now that the train is here, how do I uh, right. set up my business in order to take advantage? Like right, nobody, yeah. it would be boring as hell. Yeah. But when you've got a show like this that has so much uh, breath as far as the characters and the setting, and just you are allowed to just sort of like stew in it, you can get into that stuff, and it remains interesting because the characters are so good. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Um, I do really like the fact that the show basically gives a commentary on like the. Um, the evolution of violence, really, like the mm. way that the way that people can be violent to each other, and it becomes less about, as we said, just shooting or the traditional uh, stock sort of ideas about what the Western would be, and it moves into something else. And I think that the you know the show does a good job of not making that extreme. It's not explicit. Like there's never a scene where it's just like, boy. You know, the, the characters will occasionally mention like yep, things would be better if I could just slit some throats instead of this thing. But there is a there's not a rumination on like the way things used to be, sort of. They're all moving through this new world in a way that makes sense and it doesn't have them living in the past or. Yeah, there like really that. isn't. There yeah. isn't really anybody who I mean, I think maybe Al has made reference to it once or twice or someone has about like you know and this would be easy if we could just kill the guy yes yeah but but it as a show it's not a very um it's not a nostalgic western the way that most westerns are you know yeah 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 that's true and it's and it's uh it's like you talk about the the evolution of violence it's you never see a western that ends with the evolution of violence it always it always ends with the the uh the base Right. expression of violence yeah, right going, you know going like, back to the the start essentially. Yeah. yeah like the wild bunch doesn't the wild bunch ends with them all dying in a machine gun fight like i yeah. guess the the evolution <laughs> of violence there is that the now they have a machine gun yeah, yeah. yeah but it's like you never get a movie like that uh, where they get arrested and you know die slowly in jail or, <laughs> yeah. they have a high-priced you know? lawyer who argues them out of, out of uh, any kind of punishment or something like that yeah yeah billy the kid is gonna die He's going to get shot to death. The yep. Wild Bunch is going to get but Butch and Sundance are going to get shot to death. You know, that's yeah, yeah. You don't get a lot of uh, the post stuff. No, because the heroes in the Western movies represent the old freedom thing, right? So they have to die because their end is here, right? Like the the end of the West is the end of this kind of hero or this yeah. kind of villain or something. The closest the closest thing in like traditional Western stories is the OK Corral situation right because obviously when they depict that in movies they always depict the classic western style where it's like oh yeah there's a gunfight and the erps killed some people and then you know they had to fight the cowboys or whatever they always leave out the part where all of those guys had to go to trial right yeah that's that's not sexy that's got no sizzle yeah 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 (laughs) although I guess maybe the trials might have been like the trial for Jack McCall in the first season, which is just kind of like we got to just get this over with and not stir up a fuss because we all have money to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's it. Nothing really else. Any scene that I forgot? Anything big that I, I missed out on? I don't mm-hmm. think so. I think we covered everything. Yeah, I can think of. Yeah, I like this one. Um, 
I I just continue to. I, I also enjoyed um, just going back on Al and like understanding where Al's head is at at this point. I thought that that was pretty effective and well done. Um, I think that they they have just they've put things in a position here where I am glad that this episode did a little bit of like story pivoting because it seemed that the way that Hearst was going, you might have gotten stuck in this Hearst marathon. And I don't know if that would suit the show. And it feels like this yeah. one did an effective job of, of kind of removing Hearst a little bit and then pivoting some of the stories so that they can go in a slightly different direction or at least have characters have something slightly different to do. So I, I appreciate this one for for doing yeah. that. And it's it's good too because like <clears throat> as as I had been saying, I felt like they were Hearst was getting a little bit samey. Yep. Um, and I think they might realize that because having him say in this episode yeah i think i might just get out of here yeah. do you guys mind <laughs> and basically taking uh al and uh tolliver and being like but you guys will report to me i was like well that's interesting because like tolliver of course is in the back yeah but al is gonna tell wants to tell this guy to go fuck himself but he might get a, a his another yeah. finger cut off so that's yeah. actually a pretty interesting move as far as uh, uh the character in as a tactic you know what I like about that scene? I like that Sai clearly wants Al to go along with him in that. Yeah, yeah. Because Sai is getting kind of upset the more that Swearingen is breaking away and aggravating Hurst with him. And I can, I always, I interpret what Sai is doing there. Is Sai is kind of like, it's not that he thinks it's for the best outcome, but that, they, that he kind of wants Al to back him up against whatever they decide to do with Hearst, and he doesn't want to do it alone. Like, he kind of wants Al's support through what they're, mm. they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's about it for full faith and credits. We'll be back with the next episode, which is called The Two-Headed Beast. And other than that, you support the show at patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. It's the best way to support us. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple of dollars a month to get extra stuff. We cover, we've covered some Westerns on the Patreon. You could listen to our coverage of Tombstone, Unforgiven. That might be it, but there might be something else coming out I in the future too. completely forgot we had done Unforgiven. Yeah, we did Unforgiven a long time ago. Yep. Yep. That makes me Unforgiven too. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we get out of here? Check out the Rotten Horror Picture Show Patreon coverage of the video Nasties. We're getting into some uh, funky movies banned by the state this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we just covered The Exorcist on our main feed in honor of the late Billy Friedkin. And uh, Sean and I just finished season two of Batman Beyond for Badass, and we're going to get into Batman Beyond Return of the Joker after a short little break so we're we're getting into the good stuff there and uh yeah we only got a few only got six more episodes of our show before the end of batman beyond the series and so hmm. we got to start thinking about what we're going to do after that hmm. there you go get in while the getting's good everybody because once they're done the episodes just disappear forever be gone Thanks, everybody, for listening to our coverage of Deadwood. This is the Something Pretty Podcast. We'll be back next week with the Two-Headed Beast. Leave your thoughts on the Discord if you want to. You can leave your thoughts on this episode on the, uh, the website page, blah, 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 patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. All that good stuff. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week with the Two-Headed Beast. See ya. It's not the fucking hour. It's not the fucking bandage of the chair. It's you that's changed the level of your suction somehow. That's the fucking sum and substance of it. Maybe if I get up on my knees? You're the cocksucker. Change your fucking angle. Hey, Jesus Christ, you've turned me inside out. Advice from third fucking parties. Place a table on the boardwalk. People can jot their suggestions. Roll in the muck of the thoroughfare in gales of fucking laughter. I did not shame myself. I keep an open mind in that area. Kid yourself about your behavior, you'll never learn a fucking thing. I knew what was coming to them. Fucking captain holding me down. I knew what the fuck was next.
When he chopped off your finger? He didn't chop off my finger. Hurst chopped my fucking finger off. The other fuck held me down. They hold you down. You, you can't get at him to help yourself. It's fucking cold in here anyway. You want a blanket? If I do, I'll put it around me. You ain't boss of the fucking bedclothes. They hold you down from behind. Then you wonder why you're helpless. How the fuck could you not be? I don't like it either. Another one that held me down, that fucking Proctor, when I tried to get to that ship. He fucking held me, fucking wouldn't let me go. Fucking my mind, you see. She was being restrained, couldn't get back off, and had got on the boat to New Orleans to go suck prick in Georgia. She changed her mind, and, and I was being restrained by that fat bastard orphanage proctor. Anyway, that's it. That's the end of it. That's the fucking conclusion. Christ, I'd have wished to... Oh, probably she'd have thrown me overboard anyway, but I'd have wished to get to that fucking ship. But I was being restrained. I couldn't get from where she'd left me. He held me to that bed, her calling from the ship that had changed her mind. I don't like it either. No, huh? What? When they hold you down. I guess I do that, huh, with your fucking hair? No. No? Well, bless you for a fucking fibber. <laughs>